0: Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with the Lions.com. And as always, I am joined by the one, the only Kelly Ford. Kelly, we got a big, big week ahead of us. How are you feeling about it going into the weekend?
1: I'm doing great, Brett. Yeah, this is a big weekend. The week four slate uh, I, I write an article for the lines every week about you know the top three games of my watchability scores. And I love every single weekend of college football. We talked about this last week. But the reality is week three, the highest watchability score that I had on a scale of 0 to 10 was an 8.9. This week, Brett, we have four games that rate as a 9.0 or better. So basically what I'm saying is from a watchability standpoint, we got four games this weekend that are better than the, la- the best game we had last weekend. So, yeah, man, I'm excited. Week 4 is jam-packed, and it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to be breaking down all the biggest games here on this episode, and I just, I'm ready. Let's do it. Conference play is here. It's one of the best times of the college football season. We really start to see how these teams stack up within their respective conferences.
0: Yeah, and an important note on that, if you are looking to bet some late futures like championship, specifically Heisman, maybe uh, some ACC championship futures – Bet those teams now if you think they're going to secure big wins this weekend. Florida State, Notre Dame, if you're looking at Sam Hartman, Heisman Futures, bet him now if you think Notre Dame is going to beat Ohio State because those prices are going to drop so fast you won't even believe it. Especially after this week, I will come back at you next week with some Heisman reports, with some championship future. I've got a whole bunch of future stuff on tap for next week. But Kelly, we are here to talk the Week Four slate. Before we get into it, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it at the lines US. I am at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here every single week breaking down the college football slate as well as individual weeknight games. If you are looking for those, we have posted them on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that. Uh, Kelly and I did about 45 minutes on the Thursday and Friday slate not long ago. Uh, Before we get into the first game here, I do want to talk. There is some weather stuff going on. We do have rain and wind games in the Central Plains, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa State, uh, Kansas State. Those are going to be ones that are going to be dealing with some rain and high winds. We have the entire East Coast, Wake Forest, East Carolina, ODU, the, the Miami at Temple game, I think is supposed to incur some rain and wind. And then we do have some games that don't have weather, but some high winds. New Mexico State at Hawaii, Sam Houston at Houston, not like much offense can be played in that game, and App State at Wyoming. Uh, that Wyoming game, winds are going to be very, very, very high during the day and tapering a little bit as the game goes on. Just be aware of those, plus some of the games we'll talk about here. But I want to start off with top four, number four, Florida State, a a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road in Death Valley at Clemson. This game carries an over-under of 55 points. It kicks off at noon Eastern on ABC. I have a feeling any other weekend this would have been a 7.30 primetime kick. Some quick injury stuff. Clemson, Clemson safety Andrew Mukaba, or Mukaba, I'm not... 100% sure how to pronounce his last name, but he is uh, questionable to play along with starting offensive guard, Walter Parks. And for Florida State, safety, Akeem Dent, offensive lineman Robert Scott, and offensive lineman Maurice Smith. They all missed last week. They may be in this week, but who knows? There's a lot of questions about that. Be looking at that because these are some big contributors. These are starters that may not play. Fans will reopen this line at Clemson plus three, but then buyback happened really quickly. It went all the way down to, I think, Florida State minus one. Uh, And an important note, if you're looking to bet the total, don't just take 55 either way. Shop around. 55 is the most common point total over the last five years in college football. So you are looking at a 3.5% edge one way or another. On 55.5, we're going over on the square 55. I think Florida State's final score with Boston College is a little bit misleading. You might look at it and say, wow, they only beat them by 2, 31, 29. It got a little... Uh, testy at the end there, but they're dealing with some weather stuff. But Florida State had pretty firm control this game, besides giving up a bunch of points late, they had a fumble picked up in return for Boston College touchdowns. So, some weird stuff there. Classic, uh, maybe look ahead spot for the Noles. I think the perception though on Clemson has been really bad and possibly even skewed after that big time national loss to Duke. We all saw it, and perhaps we're carrying those priors with us just a little bit too long because the Tigers turned around and drubbed Charleston Southern FAU like they should have. Now, Clemson, they are actually number two in rushing success rate, almost a 60% clip. We're talking 57.7%, but they're throwing the ball the 13th most times nationally. Why are we doing this? I don't know. Dabo, I don't know if he's got control of the offense over there. I know they handed the keys to Garrett Riley, but... There's all sorts of weird stuff going on with that offense. I think, quite frankly, it's broken. Florida State's secondary, though, when you look at their game against SMU, they or SMU, blah, LSU, they did give up some big plays. So there is slight concern in that Florida State secondary. But nothing that Cade Klubnick's done so far this year makes me believe that he's going to be exposing that secondary. And good Lord, are the Clemson wide receivers awful. They're just so bad. They can't catch, they can't get separation. They're not explosive. It's a bad group. Florida State has already given up 15 rushes of 10 or more yards, as 89th nationally. Like they, they give up chunk plays, so Clemson doesn't have an opportunity to be able to run it with Will Shipley if they so please. But like I said, they like to throw the ball at their five-star quarterback. I, you know, I, I need to know if they're going to keep it on the ground or if they're going to abandon it early if Florida State gets on them and shuts down a couple of runs. If Florida State shuts down the running game, good night, Clemson. What do your numbers make of this gigantic ACC matchup?
1: Yeah, Brett. It's the game of the year in the ACC. I don't care how we've gotten here. It's the one we've had circled all summer. I thought there'd be a good chance that one of these teams would have a loss coming in, but Brett, I didn't think it'd be Clemson. Uh, It was surprising to open the season. Now they've they've got to save their season. Coming into this year, my numbers assigned a 62% chance for Clemson to make the ACC championship game. They were my favorite in the conference, a 56% chance for Florida State. They were number two. Now, The Seminoles are up to a 68% chance, and the Tigers are down to a 10% chance, Brett. With a win in this game... Florida State's chances to make the ACC championship game all the way up to 82%. With a loss, it's still a 50-50 proposition. Uh, They have a bit of an easier remaining uh, conference slate than than, than Clemson and some other contenders. Clemson, like I said, they're at 10% right now. With a win, it's up to 22%. So still not going to be an overwhelming favorite to make it even with the head-to-head over Florida State. Again, because Clemson's been downgraded in the power ratings and they have a more difficult conference slate uh, upcoming. With a loss, Brett? 3% chance that Clemson makes the ACC championship game. Essentially, they're out of this. I mean, they'd be 0-2 after two games. We haven't even gotten to October yet. It's just crazy. My numbers have Florida State minus three. It's a 59% win expectancy for the Seminoles. Brett, right, there's only a 32% chance that the average top 25 team would be 3-0 against Florida State's schedule right now. That's the second best in the country behind only Texas. The Seminoles are outscoring their opponents by 12.1 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team against the Noles' schedule. When you combine those two achievements... Florida State is number two in my most deserving rankings right now, behind only Texas. This is a team that has a very good resume to this point. Again, carried largely by the the neutral site win against LSU to open the year, but that was a big win. They deserve credit for it, and they're getting it in my most deserving rankings. From a power rating standpoint, which is how we should be looking forward and trying to judge this game, Florida State's power rated number seven. They have the number nine offense in the country, the number 21 defense. The only negative that I can really talk about with the Seminoles right now is their most recent form. They're coming off by far their worst performance of the year. And you said it. It could have been a look ahead spot. That's for sure. But either way, wasn't great. 31-29 win at Boston College. The Noles are down 4.7 points from a week ago. Only Oklahoma State was downgraded more for me this past week for Clemson. There have been more negatives than positives this season. There's no doubt about that. They entered the year number seven in the power ratings with the number 18 offense. Uh, The Tigers lost to Duke by 21 before picking up wins at home against FCS Charleston Southern and then a weak FAU team. The offense has been downgraded to number 30. The defense has rebounded, though, after a poor start. They're now back up into the top 10. Overall, I have Clemson number 15. This game should be strength on strength. Top 10 Florida State offense. Top 10 Clemson defense. I do like the Seminoles' defense more than the Tigers' offense. This game's in Death Valley, though, and I do expect that will make a difference. However, maybe not as much of a difference at noon as it would have been if it was later in the day. And, Brett, you said if this game's any other week, maybe it is a primetime game. Well, Clemson fans and that Clemson team sure wishes it was, I'm sure, because Death Valley at noon is not Death Valley at 8 p.m. So I have Florida State in this one. I have a minus three. It's a 41% chance that Clemson pulls off the upset uh, victory at home. If they fall to 0-2 in conference play, I I, I talked about it earlier, it's a knockout blow. I mean, the Tigers' season, their goals, essentially over, and we haven't even hit October, Brett. You would have told me this coming in just even a month ago. I probably would have laughed at you and been like, there's no way. And here we are. My goodness, it could be bad for Clemson if they do not get the win in this game.
0: Yeah, part of being a successful college football analyst, handicapper, whatever you want to call it, is being able to admit when you're wrong. And uh, I've done that. You've done that on this show about Colorado. Uh, hand up. K-Clubnik, not very good so far. Clemson's offense Agreed. did not rebound like I expected it to whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I, I have a futures bet on Clemson to win the national championship. And, boy, that's, that's out the window. May as well have just donated at this point you talked about the strength versus strength, and I want to narrow it down just a little bit further besides just Florida State's offense versus Clemson's defense, specifically Florida State's offensive line against Clemson's defensive line. Missing those two starters, though, for Florida State, that's, a, that's an issue. Uh, we do need them back because Clemson's defensive line is stout as they've ever been, and that could spell disaster for Jordan Travis um, should he be facing just a hellstorm of pressure from the Clemson front. But to touch on the stadium, because I love stadiums. I'm a geek. I travel to them all. Uh, Clemson Memorial Stadium, no joke. Like you said, uh, it's it's going to be a tough, tough home environment here. Phil Steele gives Clemson their, a home edge of five and a quarter points. That's in line with LSU and Texas A&M. Uh, I have been to the latter two, but I have not been to Clemson's Memorial Stadium for a game. I visited it empty in the summer. Um, so I can't speak to the noise level in terms of comparison. But from what I've heard, it's not quite... The LSU A and M level of loud. Um, I've been to those. It's it's insanity. Uh, it is crazy loud there. Uh, both of these teams have been tested to a degree, but Florida State's win over LSU is a lot more proving, I think, than Clemson's blowout loss to Duke. Even though, um, if, uh, if if you 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 did downgrade them quite a bit in terms of their conference championship futures because it was a conference game there. Uh, you know, I would like to know how that Duke game would have shaken out if Clemson didn't just turn the ball over every five plays uh, or if they would have even scored an average rate in the red zone. It, it, was, it was a mm-hmm. freak game, but you go back and you look at the Orange Bowl and you know what? Clemson did the same darn thing against Tennessee then. So this may just be who they are. This may just be with the term Clemsoning that got resurrected on that fateful Monday <laughs> night. Uh, it's clear that Clemson's an issue. I don't think it's an outlier performance. I cannot bet on that here. Um, Kelly, we, the real Death Valley. I'm going to get screamed at for this, um, but LSU took that, took that right in the 2019 National Championship game.
1: It's been LSU for me a lot longer than 2019. LSU is the real Death Valley, in my opinion. I didn't know if we wanted to get into that. I know it makes people upset. Hey, I like both <laughs> these Tigers. I like these teams. I like these programs. They've had great success in the last decade. But if someone says Death Valley, I think LSU. I'm being honest. That's the I think first. Now I'm not from South Carolina. I'm sure those folks think of it differently. If someone says USC, I think Southern Cal. I don't think South Carolina. I know people down in that part of the country, again, yeah. they say they say South Carolina. To me, the real Death Valley is LSU. However, this is a Death Valley too. Just doesn't have the same
0: bite during the day as it does at night. Moving forward, uh rivalry game. A, a terrific rivalry. Uh, we have the SMU Mustangs on the road at the TCU Hornfrogs. Frogs. TCU is a 6.5 point home favorite. Has an over-under of 63 and a half. They are looking for a good old-fashioned shootout here between uh, former Southwest Conference foes. This game kicks off at noon Eastern on FS1. Kelly, I love rivalry names and rivalry trophies. Uh, it's a sickos thing. I love following it. This is the battle for the Iron Skillet. It is the mm. 102nd year, but this is a commodity that is going out of fashion. In fact, this rivalry will not exist likely after the 2025 season. Sadly, TCU called it off. Not because they weren't winning. They are 24-8 and eight in this game since 1989. SMU has taken two of the last three. Of course, uh, before last year's edition of TCU, the, the Horned Frogs have seen better days. But SMU won both those games on the quote-unquote road across town from Dallas to Fort Worth. They won those games in Fort Worth. There's a cross-metro rivalry. I do love this a great deal. We are going to be dealing with some wind here, especially for North Texas. We're talking 15 mile an hour or more sustained winds, higher gusts. That's when you start talking about impacts to the point totals. Rain can affect point totals if it's really, really coming down in sheets and it's just a sloppy mess. But wind is is what gets you here. So do keep that in mind. And uh, Kelly, this is not your father's SMU Mustangs defense. They are, they're stout. They held Oklahoma to 28 points. Uh, 14 of those are scored in the final frame. Uh, this game ended 28 to 11, just like we all projected with a 74 and a half point total or whatever it was. Uh, the game plan was clear though for the Mustangs. Hold the ball to limit Oklahoma's explosive potential. Uh, the Sooners right now, number one passing game in the country. And that's when things opened up in the fourth quarter a little bit. 29 of the, or 28 of the 39 points were scored in the final frame. Um, I still don't think we know that much about TCU, to be honest. Their defense was blown out of the water, and they looked really unprepared against Colorado. I thought that was a coaching malpractice on both sides of the football. And then they went and played two really bad teams. I'm talking Nickel State, who's outside of the top 90, I think, in my FCS ratings. And then uh, Houston. Houston is in a a world of trouble. Uh, They're a bad, bad football team uh, and TCU ended up beating them. Uh, Like I said, the play calling on both sides of the ball has just been dreadful. Uh, I think it makes hiring Kendall Briles worse. He already carried a lot of baggage and now he's not uh, delivering so far. They're 114th on early down EPA on defense, which means they are allowing teams to get into third and manageable rather than third and long. Um, but on offense uh, the the other on the other side they are 51st in third and fourth down success rate so late downs they're not calling great plays defensively they're getting killed early on even with two what i would consider bad offenses but i think we'll have a pretty good data point to use for TCU at least a second one after the Colorado game after this one SMU on the other hand this is surprising to me uh you know it's all subjective they don't release their uh, formulas or or criteria or whatever it is, but SMU currently is the number one pass rush according to pro football focus, at least in terms of their grade. They have 45 pressures through three games uh, from their front seven alone uh, is in terms of minimum at 10 pass rushes. So I'm not including the, the rotators that came at the end of the game. They had seven sacks against Louisiana tech though. So these numbers might be skewed just a little bit from some of their competition, but they, I thought they looked pretty solid against Oklahoma. TCU, TCU's offensive line, I'm not really sure if it's great. They haven't had any tests and they lost a lot of guys to the NFL after last year. And then Chandler Morris, the quarterback under pressure. Listen to this 3.55 seconds to throw when he's under pressure. Kelly, that is way too long. The internal clock for a quarterback should be two and a half seconds, 1001, 1002. By the time you finish saying 1003, that ball better be out of your hand, especially when you are playing a good pass rush. He has two turnover worthy throws. Five yards per attempt flat and a 43% completion rate when he's pressured. That's not great. That 43% completion rate is bottom 30 in the nation. Uh of course he's a lot better when he's not blitzed than when he is blitz. We're not talking Patrick Mahomes here. Um, so I think I think SMU is gonna pin their ears back and and get after him and force him to make throws and you know hold on to the ball too long and maybe get some sacks here. One other discrepancy too, TCU is one of the most penalized teams in the country. They have the 13th most penalty yards per game right now, while SMU has the 12th fewest penalty yards per game. So if we're looking for a razor-thin edge, one team has a propensity to shoot themselves in the foot with drive killers, and the other team does not.
1: Yeah, Brett, you said you like rivalry games. I love rivalry games. It makes me sad that this one's going away after 2025. Let's enjoy it while we have it. This is the Sunny Dykes Bowl, man. Uh, I have TCU minus three and a half. It's a 60% win expectancy. Despite a couple wins in a row, my model is still disappointed with TCU this season. The Horn Frogs have been downgraded about a point and a half since the preseason. They've fallen from number 20 to number 29. The offense is down from number 15 to number 22. But it's the defense that has been worse than expected. They've fallen from number 37 to number 56 for me. They've already played Houston in conference. Um, I will say that the schedule sets up nicely for TCU to get some momentum with Big 12 games upcoming against West Virginia, Iowa State, and BYU before they have the meat of their conference schedule in the second half of the season. So they get this one, and then they pick up a couple Big 12 wins. This team could be feeling really, really good before entering that back half against some really hard opponents in the Big 12. So this is a big kind of hinge game for them. If they get it, good things ahead. If they don't they might've missed an opportunity here. Uh, this is the only remaining regular season game in which my numbers project SMU to be an underdog, my favorites in the American, uh, the Mustang, the Mustangs have been my favorite, uh, every single week. This week is no different. SMU has a season high now, 74% chance to host that title game. Remembering the American, the number one C se- or the team with the better conference record hosts that game, uh, which is a big deal when it comes time to, to being able to play that, uh, on your home field for a chance, potentially as it's turned out recently to be the new year's six, uh, Representative from the G5, SMU is up 4.1 points in the ratings compared to last week. That's the fourth most in the nation, and they're up five and a half points from the preseason. They now rank number 32. That is the best of any G5 program. Of course, they're not going to be G5 for long, joining the ACC next year. The offense has been about what I expected. Uh, Top 30 unit, that's the best in the American. It's the defense, though, that's been much better than I expected. TCU's defense has disappointed the model. Uh, SMU's has impressed the model. I projected this unit to be number 92 in the preseason. Uh, Shame on me a little bit, I think. Uh, They are now top 60. If SMU finds a way to win this one, they will be the clear-cut favorite to be that G5 New Year's 6 representative. Um, But I have TCU minus 3.5. It's a 40% chance that SMU pulls off the upset... On the road, I'll say, because as you said, it is just across town, but you're going into a hostile environment uh, against a rival. So even though it's only a quick, you know, 30 minute drive or less uh, with traffic, it is still going into a hostile environment, and they certainly wish they were playing it at home. 40% chance they get the win.
0: You say shame on you for the, for the defensive projections, but if your model was capable, of projecting 30-spot swings and improvements on defense. <laughs> Mind you, a team that gave up 63 points in a victory last year, then you should go get a lottery ticket. It's, I don't think it's shame on you.
1: It just bothers me when I see swings of 30-plus spots in rankings. Now, again, a 30 a 30 spot sp- swing, swing in a ranking is not necessarily a big swing in a rating. I'm looking behind the scenes at this one. It is a bigger swing in the rating. And yeah, I know you can't force us everything, but it's only been a handful of weeks and I've seen that big of a swing. That means it means I missed or it means they are just simply that much better than everybody thought. It's probably somewhere in between. Um, I just don't like being that far off in the rating, let alone the ranking this early into the year. If it, if it progresses that way throughout the year and oh my gosh, this team was just, they just ended up proving me wrong. Great. I'll live with that this early. I don't like to be off by that much. It's just, just part of it.
0: That's fair. But remember, Sportsbooks hung a 74.5 point over-under for that game, or a, at true. least a 70-point over-under for that game uh, against Oklahoma, and, and they scored 39. So they, true. everybody's off on it. Uh, if we're really boiling it down to the basic element, we have a quarterback that is not great against pressure, facing the current top pass rush in the country, skewed as though it may be. I would call that not ideal. TCU's defense has been pretty good on late downs. Uh, They're able to get off the field on third and fourth down. And SMU actually has not been putting it together on those early downs. I do think the Oklahoma game is a big, looming, kind of skewing data point there. So we'll see as they go. Um, But as the numbers have it right now, TCU does have the defense, or, or the advantage, pardon me, being able to get off the field on third down and force those third downs. The market liked SMU. Uh, this number is down from plus seven and a half at open, but then it hit five and a half and six, and then it rebounded, and, and now I'm seeing TCU back at seven in many places. Uh, I think I'd lean TCU with the points because the wind's gonna affect the passing game, and, and that's where TCU's really vulnerable the most on defense. Um, again, maybe skewed a little bit from the Colorado game, but uh, you know, I, I'd lean probably TCU with the points. Uh and then I would also probably lean the under. Um I know TCU likes to run the ball, they're pretty efficient with it. But if we're talking about weather uh, issues here, and we're talking about a pretty high over-under, those are my leans. Uh, I don't actually have any plays in this game, though. Kelly, I had to put this one on here. I, I had to. We-, we have a week jam-packed with six ranked matchups, and gosh darn it, I am going to put a MAC game in here. We have the Ohio Bobcats, your Ohio Bobcats, a 13-point favorite on the road at my Bowling Green State University Falcons. This game carries a lofty over-under of just 44.5 points, and it kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. The under took a lot of money. Uh, it opened up at around 46. Again, now down to 45, half. so people are betting the under there. Ohio is without their backup, C.J. Harris. He's done for the season. That's a big deal because Rourke has been struggling with injuries, and if he can't go at any point this year, there was a pretty high safety net. CJ Harris was a pretty decent backup. Now we're talking about dipping into the third stringer territory. On the Bowling Green side, they have their own quarterback issues. Connor Basilak missed the Michigan game with an injury. It's a maybe he could come back uh, this week. Camden Orth, the backup, he left with an injury in the second quarter against the Wolverines. And we've got Hayden Timishak. He came in to play quarterback, the third stringer. Kelly, he's six foot seven. You're not going to miss him on the football field if he's out there. However, both Basilak and Orth are listed on the depth chart for this coming week. Uh, But Scott Leffler said he doesn't really know who's going to get the start, maybe healthy or not. I'm not a huge Connor Basilak guy. uh, So honestly, I'm not sure my handicap changes by all that much, regardless of who plays. Basilek will throw for more yards. Maybe he'll be more accurate, more completions, but he's going to throw more interceptions. We've already seen that, that he is not ideal. Uh, But here's where, here's where I'm going to get off the road a little bit. I'm not going to be talking numbers. I'm not talking player personnel. We're talking spots here. Ohio's coming off a big time home win against Iowa state. They won it 10 to seven. It was kind of gross, but Hey, you're beating a power five at home in the Mac last year. Marshall came into Bowling Green fresh off their upset of Notre Dame. Bowling Green won that game. It was their homecoming. I was there. This year, Ohio comes into Bowling Green fresh off their Iowa State upset, and it's Bowling Green's homecoming again. This is really the only time of year in which you get a packed Doit Perry Stadium. Most of the year, 125 other schools trounce Bowling Green's game day. There's 8,000 people in the stands. It might be Tuesday night. There's like no tailgating to speak of. Most students watch these games from the bars. Personally speaking, I worked a lot of these games. But we're talking about the one time a year where there's going to be a full house at Toy Perry Stadium, especially for Ohio. That's kind of this regional Mac East rivalry that Bowling Green really sees. I highlighted in my upset alerts piece. An upset alerts piece that has 8-2 and two record against the spread with the underdogs. I highlighted four of them this, this week. They have to do with scheduling uh, spots and, and weird things like that because it does affect the college game disproportionately. My numbers aren't going to back it up. I want to talk about your numbers because I think this is interesting. But because my numbers won't back it up, that's why it's kind of an upset pick. What do you think about your Ohio Bobcats and my Bowling Green Falcons? Yeah, bro.
1: we had to talk about this one. You're absolutely right. In a slate that's jam-packed, we got to get into where we went, uh, got some degrees from here. Uh, I kind of, I like the pick. I'll be honest, because while the spread's 13, I have Ohio minus three and a half only. Wow. It's a, it's a 60% Jeez. win expectancy for the Bobcats. Yeah, this is this is one of those games where I actually asked you offline. I was like, hey, am I missing something? What's going on? Why do I have such a big discrepancy here? And as we talk through it, I felt more and more confident. And yeah, I think, Brett, you're really on to something with this upset pick. And some of these things that are off the field, some of the intangible, some of the storylines, I know that doesn't play into the game necessarily, but It becomes a theme. It really does. Um, And I I could see that being the case this year. Overall, Ohio is a team that's almost exactly as I expected. They've risen 0.1 points in the ratings and two spots in the corresponding rankings. Had a very good read on this team, at least at this point, coming into the year. But I whiffed on both of the units by almost equal amounts. Uh, it's the offense that's fallen from number 71 to number 100. It's a defense that's improved from number 117 to number 60. So Ohio's been my favorite in the East each week, and they still are. Uh, there isn't a single game remaining in the regular season in which I make the Bobcats a projected underdog. Battle of the Bricks against Miami, Ohio is in Athens this year. That's at Ohio University. Uh, I think that's huge because I do think those are the two, quote, best teams in the East by my numbers. But first things first, before Ohio gets to that one, they got to take care of Bowling Green, and I do think they pose a serious threat. As we talked about. Despite the one and two start, the offense and defense are both better than I projected for Bowling Green. The Falcons have improved from number 121 overall. They're now up to number 107. So, still not great. But when you're in the MAC and you're fighting for a division title, number 107 is you, you can work with that. Uh, and if they continue to get better, it, it, it'll get better. That's third best in the division for now. They are behind the Bobcats and the Redhawks, as I said. Bowling Green's regular season win total projection has improved from 4.4 to 5.2. And the Falcons now have a 40% chance to go bowling by my numbers. That's up from a 21% chance in the preseason. So it's nearly doubled uh, in that time. My numbers give the Bobcats the edge on both sides of the ball. But the fact that it's in Bowling Green, the fact that it's homecoming, the fact that they're going to have a stadium full of people this weekend, it does make it interesting. I have Ohio minus three and a half, 40% chance Bowling Green pulls off the upset win at home on homecoming weekend. Ohio, I mentioned they currently have a 50% chance to make the MAC championship game up in Detroit with a win that jumps to 59%. With a loss, it's down to 35%. Bowling Green, of course, power rated lower, uh, 9% chance to make it currently. A win will more than double that up to 20%. A loss drops it all the way down to 3% because now you're a game back and you've lost the tiebreaker to a team that I'm projecting to be better. So it makes sense that the numbers are going to say you're just about. Out of it with a loss, even though in reality they're not. We know how crazy maction can get, but that's what the numbers are
0: saying right now. I'm not an aggressive better. Uh, people that have followed me for the past couple of years know that uh, I'm a very conservative better. I like betting sides. I like betting totals. Uh, I I love me a good minus one ten. I do not chase plus signs, but I'm sprinkling a little bit on the money line for Bowling Green on this one. I I really am. Uh, not a lot. I'm, I'm not putting a full unit down on that. Good God, no. Um, but I'm at least taking the points and putting a, a small position on their money line as well. This is a very typical Bowling Green thing to do. I've seen it for years. They'll win this game, and then they'll go lose to Akron or get their doors blown off by Buffalo. That's just what Bowling Green does. But yeah, hey, if you're if you're looking for an exciting upset pick to cheer on this week, uh, Bowling Green, outright. Moving forward over to the Pack 12 we have number 22 UCLA at number 11 Utah. The Utes, as it stands right now, are minus four and a half point favorites. Now that will change dramatically and soon, and we'll get into that. There is an over/under of 52 and a half points. This game kicks off at 3:30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Uh, you have to go back to the first home game of 2020 to find the last time the Utes lost at home. Before then, if you're not counting the COVID year. Let's try, uh, how about week three of 2018? This is a team that does not lose at home ever. But the big question is, is Cam Rising going to play? The medical staff said they'll make a decision Thursday. A little peek behind the curtain. We're recording this Wednesday night. I'm sorry, guys. This number is going to change when that information at least gets leaked out. Some professional betters here. And same deal with tight end Brant Keithy. This game is a total information battle. Uh, if we see the line move toward UCLA in the coming days or, or coming hours at this point, then rising is out. If the line favors Utah, he's in. Cut and dry, hands down. But let's talk about the things that we do know for certain. Dante Moore, how about him? The, the show has come to UCLA. He is the, he has the number one quarterback passer rating when blitzed this season. He is eating defenses alive. Utah is a man-heavy Uh, defense and coverages they dare opposing receivers to beat them they are confident in their athletes on the perimeter UCLA has the wide receivers to contend they added J. Michael Sturvan in the offseason really good crew um and and man-to-man is a lot easier to decipher as a young quarterback I'm interested to see if Utah comes out and tries to disguise some zone coverages making maybe making it look like man and also disguise blitzes to instill a little bit of false confidence in Dante Moore because that's what you do with a young kid uh, especially at home It's not against the heaviest competition, but Dante Moore does have an 85% adjusted completion rate with an average depth of target of 11.7. That is second most among the top 30 adjusted completion quarterbacks behind only Michael Penix. Pretty good company to be in if you're a true freshman. He has the sixth-highest big-time throw rate nationally, Uh, but this is a new animal going against Utah's defense in Rice-Eccles Stadium. Utah's a very sound tackling team. I think they're really going to challenge Carson Steele, who's just lived with yards after contact this year. He's about five and a quarter uh, after contact. It's strength versus strength. UCLA's offensive line versus Utah's defensive line. But, Kelly, what do your numbers say about this blockbuster?
1: Yep, I got Utah minus three and a half. It's a 60% win expectancy Uh, Only a 55% chance that the average top 25 team would be 3-0 against Utah's schedule. That's the fifth best in the nation, and it's a large reason why Utah is number six in my most deserving rankings this week. The Utes are down a little bit less than a point in my ratings from number 15 in the preseason to number 17 currently. The offense has been worse than expected, to be honest, falling from number 12 to number 28, But that makes sense because we haven't had Cam Rising yet. If Cam Rising comes back, I fully expect that offense to bounce back in terms of their national unit ranking. The defense has been better than I expected, though. They've risen from number 22 to number 11. That is the best in the Pac-12. It's been the best in the Pac-12 all year for me. Uh, UCLA has been a pleasant surprise in the Pac-12. They've improved their power rating nearly four and a half points. They're up from number 31 in the preseason to now number 22. The offense is now top 10. But it's the defense that has been much better than I expected in the preseason. They were number 66 to start out. They are now all the way up to number 27. Uh, You mentioned it. They haven't played a ton of stiff competition, but they've held that competition to much lower uh, performance results than the model had expected of them coming in. That's why you see improvement on that side of the ball in the eyes of the model. Uh, This is strength versus strength. You mentioned that you broke it down to the offensive and defensive lines. I'm just calling it number 10, UCLA offense, the number 11, Utah defense. It's evenly matched on the other side as well, Brett. Number 28, Utah offense, number 27, UCLA uh, defense. The difference for me uh, is that this game is in Salt Lake City, and it could be Cam Rising, depending on how that news comes out, uh, probably the day that we drop this episode. Uh, I have Utah minus three and a half, 40% chance UCLA pulls off the upset on the road. I have Utah power rated better than UCLA. But these numbers that I'm about to talk about highlight the difference in uh, scheduled difficulty within the conference for these two teams. UCLA has a much better chance to make the conference championship game because their road is much easier. Currently a 19% chance for the Bruins to make it to Las Vegas. If they win this one, it's up to 32%. A 1-3 in chance that UCLA is in Las Vegas. I mean, end of September, that's... Much better than I think most people would have thought. If they lose it, it's down to a 10% chance. Uh, again, still a path back because that schedule is pretty pr- relatively easy. Utah, though, currently just a 9% chance. I don't like where that number is. Uh, it's a very tough road. Their power rating has fallen, but if they get Cam Rising back, it's gonna be, they're going to be better than the models projecting because they haven't had him and he's a difference maker like that. If they win this game, it's a 13% chance, so not a huge bump, but again, it's because the model's expecting Utah to win this game more times than not. If they lose... Currently all the way down to a 2% chance. Now, again, you get Cam rising back and they play like the team that we thought maybe they'd be coming into the season. Anything is possible. But as the models viewing it right now, a loss here would not be good for Utah's chances because they are having to face all the preseason contenders in the Pac-12 in addition to these good teams like UCLA who are kind of some sleeper picks.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it. Home field is a big thing here. Rice Eccles, one of the most difficult places to play with a combination of elevation and just being a raucous environment. Uh, You know, this is the first time playing in an environment like this of any magnitude for Dante Moore. The the Rose Bowl, when it's housing UCLA, especially when they're hosting Coastal Carolina, is not Rice-Eccles Stadium. He has not been in an environment like this. I think he has a lot to prove with this game without a lot to lose. If he goes in and performs poorly or below average and UCLA loses, nobody's going to be questioning his talent. Because he went into Rice-Eccles Stadium and played an extremely aggressive and very athletic defense. So I think he can be able to come into this and play loose, as weird as that is, walking into this kind of daunting environment. Dante Morahat, you have nothing to lose, dude. You have a lot to prove. But, hey, we're going to give you a pass if you don't really perform all that well, unless it's, like, super detrimental. Um, I can't bet aside without a word on Rising. When you're listening to this, you may already have that information. Um, so I apologize. But check in with the lines Discord for more up-to-date plays on that. We are going to be talking about it. The second that drops, the Discord's going to be lighting up, and you'll be able to have some action on this game in that event. We are going to keep it in the Pac-12, but we're going to shift over to maybe the most interesting matchup for the nation uh, this week. At least most, probably most number of eyeballs will be on it. We have number 19, Colorado. At number 10, Oregon. The Ducks are a 21-point favorite. And this game carries an over-under of 70.5. I'm not sure that we've talked about a game that had a 70-point over-under. This game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Surprise, surprise. Fox big noon kickoff is going to be riding the Buffs uh, until they lose. They're the Dallas Cowboys of college football. This number was at 14.5 last week. But then it reopened at minus 17 and a half and it rocketed from there. There's been a lot of market siding on Oregon in this one. Colorado, going to be without Travis Hunter. Uh, he's out three weeks after taking what I thought was just a disgusting cheap shot to the ribs, but we've all talked about that. It's been all over Twitter. Uh, what isn't all over Twitter, though, which I think is interesting, Alt McCaskill. He's a Houston uh, transfer running back. He was activated for the first time. He's going to play in this game. I don't know how much. But he is a big addition to this offense. We've seen Dylan Edwards be kind of the guy out of the backfield. But Alton McCaskill, extremely talented. He was a 1,000-yard rusher as a true freshman at Houston. And he tore his ACL, and he has not played since. Missed all of last year. I'm not sure if missing Travis Hunter is really that much a killer to the passing game. Because you look at Jimmy Horn, Xavier Weaver. These guys have been production monsters and target hogs. But in the secondary? That might be an issue if they're not having their top corner. uh, Maybe one of the top corners in the nation. Uh, Let's see. Colorado's roster, it's a little banged up. Let's see how this team handles it. That was a primary concern of mine coming into the preseason. A lot of people had that leaving the preseason was depth. Do they have the depth to withstand some injuries and some dings and bruises? And then the line play. Their offensive and defensive line, both, they're getting crushed. Luckily, they've been able to work around it, and Shadura Sanders has been able to offset most of that, something that I outwardly questioned going into this year. Um, but yeah, no, he, he can definitely offset some of those things. The biggest mismatch here, though, Oregon's rushing attack versus Colorado's run defense. The Ducks are currently number one in EPA per rush. They are extremely explosive. Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington. It is a one-two punch in the backfield, unlike many others in the country. And on the other side, Colorado's 108th in rushing EPA, 100th in rushing success rate allowed. So you saw that against TCU. Imani Bailey was just carving them up. You can get your yards. The, thing, the difference between TCU and Oregon is Oregon isn't going to be as poorly coached on offense as TCU was in that game. If they can run the ball, they are going to until they cannot anymore. Whereas Kendall Bryles wanted to go away and get cute and throw wheel routes on the goal line that results in interceptions. And yeah, whatever. But Oregon was able to generate over two line yards per carry versus Texas Tech, which is my only usable data point on this team so far. But I think that is a pretty notable one.
1: Yeah, before I get into the predictive metrics, Brett, to preview this one, I want to start with the resumes. Oregon is number eleven in my most deserving rankings. They have the twelfth best record achievement um, and the seventh best relative scoring margin. Colorado's number four in my most deserving rankings. They have the fourth best record achievement. If Colorado finds a way to win this one. They're going to have a case for the number one spot in my most deserving rankings next week, which is just kind of crazy to think about because you think about what were the preseason expectations, you know, where was the team power rated, all those things. But you won't be able to argue the results that they've had and the performances that they put together in terms of their win-loss record on the field if they win this one through four weeks of the season. Switching gears to the predictive side, uh, you mentioned last week the line was like 14 and a half or something like that. Now it's up to 21. Last week, my line was Oregon minus 20. This week, my line is Oregon minus 21 and a half. It's a 93% win expectancy for the Ducks. So I did not change nearly as much as Vegas did. And again, I know that is be, uh, really heavily informed by what the public perception is of Colorado in that performance against Colorado State. My model actually didn't change that much because it was trying to catch up to Colorado. Then we saw what we saw and it was like, okay, well actually maybe we are in about the right spot with Colorado. They actually fell a little bit for me. The ducks are up 5.7 points in my power ratings compared to the preseason. That's the 10th best um, uh, improvement nationally. They were ranked or they're ranked number five uh, in, in the preseason. I suspected this offense would be good, but I didn't realize how good the ducks offense is now up to number two behind uh, only USC, a, a fellow PAC 12 conference foe there. The defense has improved 10 spots. They're up to number 34 nationally. Colorado's three and zero. Their three wins are two more, 2.0 more than my preseason realistic expectations projected to this point. Again, I was too low on them. Same with USC last year. That 2.0 plus differential is number one in the entire country. Put another way, there's no team that is exceeding preseason realistic expectations more than Colorado to this point of the year. Colorado is up 8.6 points in my power ratings compared to the preseason. Only Oklahoma has been upgraded more this season. All of that said, the Buffs are currently power rated number 59. That's 40 spots higher than they were in the preseason. That's the biggest jump of any team in my ordinal ranks. Uh, but the offense is number 44. That's up from number 88. Shadur Sanders is listed among those with the best odds to win the Heisman. The defense has been better than expected, uh, but they're still ranked right. number 93. I have questions, and now without Hunter, you maybe have more questions. Uh, for as good as a story as Colorado's been, and I say that from the national media narrative, um, I personally find it somewhat tiresome, but that's okay because everyone likes to talk about it, and so we're going to keep doing it. Oregon has the advantage on both sides of the ball, and this game's in oddson. Awesome. Like, I have Oregon minus 21 and a half, 7% chance for Colorado to pull off the upset win on the road for those wondering. Cause they're gonna say, okay, well, Kelly, what'd you say about TCU? My numbers give the buffs just a 6% chance in that one. We know a little bit more about Oregon today and this week than we knew about TCU before that game. So I'm not making excuses for the numbers. It was a great upset win for Colorado and they deserve to win that game. Um, they've defied the odd od- odds once they can do it again. I don't think they will. If they do, You better believe I'll be taking Colorado seriously as a contender in the Pac-12. I'm just not necessarily thinking that they're there just yet. What Coach Prime has done is awesome, and they are very relevant nationally. There's no doubt about that. I still think they are a season or two away from being true contenders within their conference, which moving forward is going to be the Big 12. Currently, Oregon has a 48% chance to make the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, it's up to a 50% chance with a win. So again, not much, but that's because of where Colorado is power rated. They're half point dogs this week by my numbers. With a loss, that number gets cut in half to a 24% chance for Oregon to make it. So they really can't afford to slip up here if they want to continue to be one of those contenders in the Pac-12. Colorado currently less than a 1% chance to make it. If they win, it's up to 1%. But again, this is not assuming any improvement in the power ratings which they will have if they beat oregon uh there's really no two ways about that when you're on 21 and a half point underdog i don't care if it's the luckiest win in the world you're going to improve in, in your power rating if they lose it it remains uh, under a one percent chance so colorado there's the challenge i know they don't need any extra motivation they always get it from someone i guess i'm giving it to you this week uh not that they're watching me but hey i don't think you can do it 21 and a half points go out there prove me wrong and i will take you very seriously
0: I'll be honest. I was really hoping that Colorado would have would have blown up Colorado State last week. Um, and and that's not like personal rooting against anything or, or anybody. It's just because I wanted a better number on Oregon than 14 and a half. Obviously that didn't happen. And now the train has left the station and I don't have a position on Oregon. Like I wanted going into this week. Uh, and at this point I'm just not laying that big a number. Uh, Colorado's offense way too potent. I don't care who they're playing. Uh, it is way too much scoring capability for me to, to, to want to lay 21 points here with the ducks. Uh, you do look at implied team totals though. They have a 45.8 implied team total for Oregon, um, honestly, that's worth a look. If the, if the actual team total comes in under 49, I know that's a big old number, but uh, I I don't see a world in in which Oregon doesn't just have their way offensively in this one. Moving over to the SEC, fascinating matchup. Like just th- this is going to be more fun to watch, I think, as a fan and for predictive moving forward. As it is maybe if you have position in this game, but we have number 15 Ole Miss on the road at number 13 Alabama. They are uh, the Tide are a six and a half point home favorite, and this game has an over under of 55 and a half points. Game kicks off at 3:30 p.m. Eastern on. I had to double check this right at home on CBS. That's where this game belongs. Uh, there the total rebounds when it hits 54 and a half, which makes sense because 55 is the most common point total the last five years in college football. Kelly, this rivalry dates all the way back to 1894. It is one of the oldest in the SEC. Of course, Auburn and Georgia hold the title of the oldest rivalry in the SEC, that's even the name of the rivalry. But here's why I had to put emphasis on number 13, Alabama. They had a 128 week long streak raked inside the AP top 10. And that is now over. The last time, September 2015. Well, what happened in 2015? Alabama went on to win the national championship. So I don't know if it's necessarily a Alabama is dead, more so of just, oh, that's interesting. Do you uh, remember Jill- what
1: knocked them out of the top fi- top 10, though, Brett? Do you remember what it was?
0: No, not off
1: the top of my head. It was lost to Ole Miss. Oh. And here they are playing Ole Miss. I'm pretty darn sure that's what that was—the game that knocked them out. It was after that game they fell out of the top ten for the for that was the last time it happened. So now they're playing Ole Miss outside the top ten for the first time since the game after that
0: one. Interesting. They Nick Saban may may have that one on tabs there. Mm-hmm. I anyway. I Jalen Milrow is going to get the start at quarterback after the absolute dumpster fire that was the Tyler Buckner experience at South Florida last week. Um, disgusting game. Just. Awful. Great for USF. That's the kind of game they needed, but just an embarrassment for Alabama. Um, on the Ole Miss side, Zachary Franklin returned to practice, the wide receiver. He has not played yet this year. He's probably the best receiver on the roster. He's a transfer from UTSA. Big get if he suits up this uh, this Saturday. And then tight end uh, from Memphis transfer, Caden Prescorn. He was the talk of the town uh, during spring exhibition. He has also not yet played this year but he is returning back from having foot surgery. And then Trey Harris, who missed last week, is also expected back. So Ole Miss is loading up in their skill positions. Jackson Dart, I've been a loud critic of his for the past couple years, but you know what? I'm going to have a a hat tip here. He's currently second in yards per attempt with 12.3 on the season. Very explosive offense. Jalen Milrow across the field. He's third in average depth of target with 14.4 yards Per attempt, uh, or uh, per target, I should say, because he's not always completing those. So a lot of deep shots from both of these quarterbacks, and adding Zachary Franklin in the fold is going to help Jackson Dart quite a bit. Now, Ole Miss's secondary is pretty good, and Alabama's gave up some deep shots to Texas. So this may be the difference in the downfield passing game, which which secondary shows up and plays better. Uh, interesting, because I thought Alabama's have been really, really good. And it's not that they're not, but Ole Miss has been playing a little bit better now. I do give the nod to Quinshawn Judkins in the backfield, um, although Alabama's backfield is also really good. Jace McCollin has 20 missed tackles for so far. That's the sixth most nationally. Um, but Ole Miss, offensively, they're just playing more with an identity. And I think Alabama's trying to find their identity right now. So it's a little bit of a crisis between these two teams. Big swing on either side. I'm excited to hear what your numbers think. Yeah, I have Alabama
1: minus five and a half with a 65% win expectancy. It must be said, though, this does not look like an Alabama team that we've seen for the past 15 years under Nick Saban. This is the uh, worst Alabama team that we've had in my data set since 2010. I have Alabama power rated number five. They're down four points from last week. It's the fourth biggest downgrade of the week. And they're down a touchdown from just two weeks ago when I had them actually number one in the entire country. We've had three different number ones in the last three weeks in my power ratings. Uh, Their offense is number 19. Their defense is number eight. Even still, there is not a single game the rest of the way in which my raw numbers make Alabama less than a field goal favorite. But the model is slow to react. I firmly believe Alabama uh, is just an outlier right now. And they're an outlier in the negative direction, Brett. Uh, that's something I have never said before since I've started doing the power ratings uh, it, it, She's six, six years ago now or whatever it's been. It's crazy. They The model is trying to phase out preseason ratings faster than I'm comfortable with to get to where this Alabama team is actually performing on the field because the difference between preseason input and on-field performance is pretty significant for Alabama right now. The offense has been stagnant. The quarterback play has not been good, especially when Bryce Young, Mac Jones... Jalen Hurts, Tua, that's your bar in recent years. And they are certainly not living up to that bar. They're really not getting all that close to it at the moment. Ole Miss, on the other hand, has looked really good. They've risen 6.6 points in the rating since the preseason. That's the seventh biggest upgrade in the entire country. There is only a 62% chance that the average top 25 team would be 3-0 against Ole Miss's schedule. That's the 10th best uh, record achievement in the nation. And the Rebels are outscoring their opponents by 17.7 points per game, more than would be expected of the average average top 25 team against the rebel schedule that is the third best in the entire country you put those things together and you get the number seven most deserving team in fbs i have old miss power in at number 12 they have a top 10 offense a top 25 defense the unit matchups are pretty close so this essentially boils down to home field advantage for me plus a little bit extra um i have alabama minus five and a half 35 percent chance that old miss pulls off the upset on the road I'll be honest, Brett, I'm a little bit surprised that Vegas has Alabama as a larger favorite than I do. When I made my number, I always look at mine first before the Vegas lines. When I made my number, actually, I make them before they come out, I guess, on Sundays. Um, But when I'm looking at it and I see that, I'm like, wow, I fully expected the line to be closer than what it is because I was expecting the public to be reacting even more strongly than my model to that performance that we saw at USF last year. Alabama still, despite the struggles, and again, I've explained maybe some of the models blind spots here for, for Alabama coming in or currently A 41% chance to make it to Atlanta. That's best in the SEC West. If they win this one, it's up to a 52% chance. So they would become more likely than not to make it to Atlanta, which is still kind of a weird thing to say, given what we've seen the last two weeks. If they lose, it's down to a 21% chance, which is probably the lowest percent chance we've seen for an Alabama team this early in the year to make it to Atlanta since maybe 2015. I don't know a year that they went on to win the national championship. Ole miss 15% currently to make it to Atlanta, 32% with a win at more than doubles. If they lose, it is down to 6% because now you're a game behind Alabama. You've lost that tiebreaker and you're not as highly power rated as Alabama.
0: Yeah. I, I'm going to start gaining some bets here. Um, I haven't thrown out a lot this episode, but I, I do have some swings on this one. And there's a lot of reasons to lean Ole miss in this with the points. And maybe I even do if it hits seven, above seven. I don't know if that will come back. But honestly, this game's in Tuscaloosa, and I have a lot of hesitancy with that. It's not easy to walk into that stadium and win, especially when you're a big-time opponent and a division rival. I I do like the prospect of the over, given that both of the teams like to gun it downfield and, and both can allow deep shots. It depends um, how well the secondary is playing here. Here's the bet that I kind of like. I like over 27 and a half points in the first half. Uh, it can be found uh, at even money at DraftKings. Uh, last I looked, not bad. I, I do like over 27 and a half. I think both of these teams are going to be out uh, slinging it deep. Uh, Ole Miss is going to try to get the upper hand deep by, by trying to get the explosive plays. Look, if Lane Kiffin is right about there being a new defensive play caller at, at Alabama, the fact they even noticed that is is great the fact that he released it to the public is less great but if there is a new defensive play caller in Tuscaloosa then they may need some time to adjust if he hasn't been the play caller all year so i first half 27 and a half points over uh, that's that's my play for this one all right kelly from the SEC West to the Big 10 West uh, this is this has the potential to be a really gross game we have number 24 Iowa on the road at number 7 Penn State The Nittany Lions are 14-and-a-half point home favorites, and this game carries an over-under of 40-and-a-half points. This game kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS and Paramount+. And this is the Penn State Whiteout game. Now, they had to stop scheduling top teams like Ohio State for the whiteout uh, thanks to a really poor record during them. They <laughs> they were actually 7-8 and eight before they've kicked off a three-game win streak. That included a hapless Minnesota team uh, and a down Auburn squad in the past few years. There is a chance of rain and some win for this game early on. It's not a washout or a super big wind event, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Iowa's also going to be without a few pieces starting running back. Caleb Johnson may not play, and also... Their backup, Jazzine Patterson, is out for this game confirmed. Uh, the Nittany Lions took money here through minus 14, but the total didn't change. That remained the same. So basically, Iowa's team total just continued to tick down. It goes against everything I believe in with every fiber in my body. But Kelly, I bet over 40 points <laughs> just on the fact that they didn't move it. The fact that they made Penn State a bigger uh, favorite, and the fact that we have 12 and a half points. As a team total, not just implied team total, th- this is posted, 12.5 points for Iowa. This may be the lowest team total ever posted for a top 25 team. What do you make about this one?
1: I make this two really good defenses. Um, and so, I, I again, I know what you're saying about going over. I hope for your sake you're right. You very well could be, Uh, but right now I have Penn State minus 16. It's an 87% win expectancy. The Nittany Lions came into the year power rated number nine with the top 20 offense and then in a top five defense. They're now power rated number six. This is a good team. Uh, Top 15 offense and the number four defense. So they've had improvement across the board. Penn State's number 11 in my most deserving rankings. They have the 11th best record achievement and the 5th best relative scoring margin. If Drew Aller plays like a five-star quarterback uh, that he is coming out of high school and now looking like potentially earlier this year, the CFP is the limit for this team. Like They can make the CFP because they have the talent across the board if they get that consistent high-level play at quarterback Iowa is currently my favorite in the West for the first time this year. They're edging out Wisconsin just by decimal points, but they are showing up now on my uh, conference championship projection graphic for the first time. Hawkeyes are number 20 in my most deserving rankings. They're number 33 in my power ratings. Iowa has the number one defense in the nation. I said Penn State's is number four. Uh, The Big Ten actually home to four of the top five defenses by my numbers with Georgia sneaking in there as well. Um, But the problem for Iowa, as it has been for I don't even know how long now, is the offense. Uh, I have them number 83. They came into the year number 86, so really not much change from what they had been. That, to me, is the difference in this game. The game's in Happy Valley, yes. Uh, I just don't think the Hawkeyes are going to be able to score enough points. That's why the line is what it is. And I hope, for my sake, I'm wrong on that a little bit so that you can get that over 40. Um, but I just I don't think Penn State's going to be sweating it. I got a minus 16. It's a 13% chance that Iowa gets the win on the road. This is interesting. I, I talked about earlier UCLA being a worse team by the numbers than Utah, but having a better chance to make it to the Pac-12 championship game. Similar thing here but for a different reason, because for at least this last year, the Big Ten still has divisions. And Iowa, out of the weaker West, I mentioned they're my favorite. They have a 39% chance to make it to Indianapolis. If they win this game, because they're not expected to, it jumps to 57%, nearly doubles. Uh, If they lose, it only falls to 37%, because yes, it's a conference loss, but it's not a division loss. And this is a game that the numbers aren't expecting them to win anyway. Penn State, on the other hand... So so Iowa basically has a big upside and very little downside. Penn State, totally opposite. They have a 31% chance to make it to Indy right now. That's second best in the Big Ten East above Michigan, which that in and of itself is a storyline for me currently. If they win it, it's a 33% chance, so they get a 2% bump. Again, it's a conference win, but it's not against Ohio State or Michigan. That's what the model cares about right now for Penn State. If they lose, it drops all the way to a 10% chance because, yeah, now you've lost a game and you basically have zero margin for error against Ohio State and Michigan because if you lose to one of them, now you're a game back from them and you've lost the tiebreaker. Just forget about it at that point. So um, Penn State has to get the win to, to keep their Big Ten hopes alive. Iowa, if they get it, it's a, huge, it's a huge bonus, but it's not required.
0: This feels gross. I told you I bet over 40. I also played over Iowa's 12.5 team total. Oh. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm not sure I'll ever <laughs> get another opportunity to bet a top 25 team by my numbers at this number. I, I'm just not. Look, it, this has the potential to be very stupid. I'm going to get a lot of mean things said to me, especially if Iowa lose. This is going to be the most obvious bet I've ever lost should it lose. But I'm kind of confident that it doesn't. That's why I'm putting my face on camera and publishing this on the internet for all to see for the rest of time, saying that I bet over Iowa's 12.5 team total and over 40 points on the road at Penn State. Now, Penn State, they've given up some explosive runs. They've allowed 10 rushes of 10 or more yards. That's 42nd with a million other teams. But, you know, they're not completely locking it down there. And Iowa does have five 20-plus yard rushes, which is the thirty. First, most nationally, I know they're missing their guys. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing it with my gut. This is this is gonna look so bad next week. It, it, uh, Saturday night could come around. I'm just gonna look like an idiot. Or it hits, and and I'm very happy with that. So, for those that watch our videos for the picks, and for those that watch our videos to tail whatever we're doing here, tail this one in your own peril. It's my bank account that loses if this bet doesn't cash um maybe my credibility too we'll see but yeah I you know what I bet over FIU's team total and that worked out just fine and here we are week four you, you know what I am want to say about it though Brett is 12 and a half is not a big number obviously no it, it, all, all two takes, touchdowns well you missed and, an extra point
1: and this defense for Iowa I mean they're basically good for a touchdown a game I mean at this yeah, point and, and, if special the special, teams. and if the special teams can get a block punt or something like it doesn't need to be the offense that scores these points. There was no qualifier there. So I will give you that on the surface, it sounds worse than I think it is. And I understand that's where your confidence is probably stemming from because drew Allert still is a, an unproven commodity. Yes. He's talented, but Hey, you know, this, this is what is this his first big, Ten, did he play start any big 10 games last year? I don't believe no. so. This is his first. Oh, sorry. They just played. They just played on the road at Illinois. Well, this yeah. is first big 10 game at home. again, who knows? He could be a little nervous. There's so many people in there. Yes, they, they're they rooting for him, but uh, my point is I'm trying to give you some reassurances. <laughs> I don't love it on the surface just because of the things we talked about, but I can see the path, and it's not as narrow as you might think just at face
0: value. Yeah, Iowa has a lot more ways to score than just Cade McNamara uh, or just a run game or or whatever, and, and, and betting the over 40 points does factor into the the, the, the equation that Penn State's offense maybe really good and be able to score on Iowa enough for Iowa to just crack that team total. And then the over goes over it's a correlated play. That's what I'm doing. I'm sorry, everybody. I I hope this is the only time I have to apologize for a play, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. Love it. And then our last FBS game before we do our FCS game, which also an electric slate there, but we've got the number six, Ohio state Buckeyes three point favorites on the road at number nine, Notre Dame. This game carries an over-under of 55.5 points. It kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. And this is College Game Day's pick. You can go ahead and read my write-up on it. Kelly does the NBC primetimes, and I do the College Game Day primetimes. And, well, this one had a little bit of overlap this week. But I wrote about Ohio State and Notre Dame, and we're going to talk about it a little bit in a little bit more brevity than I went into if you're, if you're looking for really in-depth. I'm talking position by position. Uh, I have about 1,300 words on this matchup at thelines.com. Now, I went to South Bend last week for a little bit of Notre Dame scouting. Kidding about scouting, but it was a lot of fun. I went with my dad. It was a really enjoyable time. Uh, Notre Dame Stadium is one of the cathedrals of college football, one of the great places to see football played there. Uh, And I love the movie Rudy, so it was really cool to see all all the bits from that in person. And to be honest, I saw some holes with Notre Dame. They had some trouble defending the run specifically between the tackles against Central Michigan, who's not overly explosive, and then they had a couple of guys run free too. And, and Central Michigan had their backup quarterback and their bird Manuel Jr. was sick and didn't play. And then they couldn't connect on those, but there were some receivers that were open down the field. I'm gonna be honest, Ohio State's not gonna be missing those downfield throws. Those are going to be long connections. But Ohio State has their own holes too. Tackles aren't great. Josh Simmons, the transfer from San Diego State, he's committed three penalties and allowed three pressures already this year against some really suspect competition. And he grades out really poorly in PFF's run blocking grades. Um, I think that's the biggest loss of, uh, or biggest weakness along their offensive line. And then on the defense, the pass rush gets pressure. But they're not getting home. Jack Sawyer and JTT, they they just need to close the deal. They're getting there. They're putting pressure on, but there's not been a lot of sacks to show from it. And, And God, they played Youngstown State. There needs to be some sacks on the stat sheet here that just aren't there yet. So a couple of concerns to Ohio State. Now, if Notre Dame's front four can get pressure on Kyle McCord, and they don't allow for time for those deep routes to develop specifically with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Ibuka, it could be a really, really long day for Ohio State. Um, but I think the Buckeyes can negate that by rushing with Trey Henderson. He's a home run hitter. They can run it in between the tackles with gap schemes and zone schemes, and he, he's a threat to to hit a home run on every single time he touches the ball, just like Audrick Estime across the way, but I think Ohio State's run defense is really solid. Benjamin Morrison, he's an All-American corner. He's going to see plenty plenty of Marvin Harrison Jr. And they are going to target him and and make sure that he gets involved in the game. But I'm looking at Emeka Ibuka and Julian Fleming and uh, some of the other guys here to have better opportunities, maybe bigger opportunities in this game. I think they're going to have to step up pretty big for the Ohio State offense to continue its role. And the Buckeyes have given up yards through the air, but they do limit explosive plays. That's part of Jim Knowles' aggressive defense. They like to blitz. They like to rush the passer. And they'll give you the short dink and dunk yards because they're backing their corners off and safeties off to give them a little bit more of a berth there. Uh, So, But, you know, Sam Hartman, he's going to take what he's given. He's a very, very good quarterback, and he's also extremely capable down the field throwing the ball. He had a couple long touchdown passes, Kelly, against Central Michigan that were just, like, incredible. The placement on it, his receiver didn't have to accelerate or decelerate. You couldn't hand it to him any better than Sam Hartman was hitting his receivers down there. Even though that receiving core isn't great, uh, he's making it work with them anyway. I think it's going to depend on how awake Ohio State defensive backs are. So far, they've been playing well. But last year, Denzel Burke, some of these other guys, were getting burned from time to time.
1: People know I'm an Ohio State fan. I've talked about it on other podcasts. I've talked about it on this show. I post about it on Twitter every now and then. What people don't know is that growing up, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. Everybody in Indiana either loves or hates Notre Dame. I like Notre Dame. Notre Dame was my, I always liked Ohio State. I like Notre Dame too. This game is special to me. It was special last year. I like this one. I am not a Notre Dame fan now. I got to a certain age where I was like, You can't be both. You got to pick. And I picked Ohio State. Um, And it's worked out. And I don't regret it for a minute. But Notre Dame always has and probably always will hold a special place in my heart because I grew up in Indiana. So it just means something to people that grew up in Indiana. It's a national brand. It's different when you grow up in Indiana. So uh, this game is exciting for me. It's fun for me. And it's nervous. It makes makes me very nervous because Notre Dame's a very good team, and Ohio State's going to struggle, I think, uh, in certain aspects of this game, at certain periods of this game. How are they going to re- react to that adversity that they quite honestly haven't faced yet this year? And so there's a lot of unknowns. This is the game of the week, and it's currently the number two highest rated game of the entire season by my watchability scores, behind only the Red River Shootout. So it's going to be awesome. It's the third straight week I have a new number one, as I talked about earlier uh, in my power ratings. That is. It's really starting to feel like maybe nobody wants that honor uh, to be the number one team Uh, this week. It is the Buckeyes almost by default because other contenders aren't playing very well. And Ohio state had a pretty good outing against Western Kentucky last year. I have Ohio state minus six and a half. It's a 67% win expectancy for the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes offense is number four uh, behind three Pac-12 units, and the defense has been very impressive this year. They are now number five. As I mentioned earlier during the Penn State-Iowa game, that's only the fourth best in the Big Ten, though, and the third best in the Big Ten East. Uh, so you've, you've got number five nationally and number three in your own division. Man, that's tough. There's some good defense happening in, in, in the Big Ten East. Ohio State is outscoring its opponents by 13 and a half points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 FBS team against the Buckeye schedule. That is sixth. Best in the country. This game is currently projecting as Ohio State's most difficult of the entire season. Yes, more difficult than the home game against Penn State. Yes, more difficult than the road game at Michigan to end the season. Those projections could change, but that is how it's projecting right now. If we get the Kyle McCord and Buckeye offense that we got against Western last week, I don't think the Irish are going to be able to get enough stops. Um, if we don't, it's a different story. On the other side of this, Notre Dame, they have the number six offense and the number nine defense. So all four of the units in this game are top 10 nationally. This is why it has a watchability score that's second to only the Red River Shootout when you're looking at every single game involving an FBS team this year. The Irish are three points better now than they were projecting to be at the start of the preseason, Um, but their corresponding ranking is actually one spot lower than it was in the preseason. That just goes to show you how much we've condensed at the top of the power ratings. Very little separates these teams uh, based on in-season data. The Buckeyes are getting the edge here when we factor in the preseason priors, um, even with this game being in South Bend. I have Ohio State minus six and a half. It's a 33% chance Notre Dame pulls off the upset, a one in three chance. Uh, It would be one of the best wins of the season so far for any team. I'm excited. I'm nervous. And if you are just a college football fan, I I don't care if you like either of these teams or you hate both of these teams. If this game doesn't get you excited, I got to ask, are you really a college football fan? Because this has the makings to be a really, really good one. I hope it lives up to the expectations because they are very, very high. It's going to cap off um, a great week four. And this one's going to be on the main screen of my five TV setup. That is for sure. Don't text me. Don't call me. Don't email me. I, I might just turn my phone off, to be honest, during this game, because I will be that into it and that nervous uh, from a fan perspective. But the numbers support Ohio State, too. We'll see if they're right.
0: Yeah, if we're out in ourselves, I've talked about it before on the show. I'm also an Ohio State fan, born and raised in Cleveland. You know, they're, they're my team. I have an Ohio State jersey over my shoulder. And I'm with you. It, it scares the crap out of me. Look, I dedicate probably close to 80 hours a week to college football. Learning it, knowing all the teams. I pride myself on, on – exploring and doing a lot of research on all 133 FBS teams, but I know Ohio state better than I know any other team. And it's not particularly close. So it's a game that I am nervous about. Uh, You know, the, your numbers support it is there's a lot of buyback when we get to three and a half for Notre Dame. uh, But it also won't go through minus three. So like, you know, it's, it's a very, we're at the point. This is the number that the market agrees is fair and correct. Minus three in favor of the Buckeyes. The look ahead was a plus eight, plus 10 earlier on. You kind of name it, it's been all over the place there. And honestly, if you're on Notre Dame... Take them out right. Take them over the points. It, don't lay the three. Take them out right. They're either going to win this game or they're not going to win this game. It, it's Well, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Usually the team that scores the most points wins. No, it's they're, they're either going to win this game handily or lose this game handily. I really don't see many outcomes in which the Irish lose by two to three points. I don't see a lot of uh, outcomes in which Ohio State lose by two or three points. Uh, if this is stepping away from the betting aspect and looking more into maybe the predictions aspect or whatever. I think this game is going to be greater than a one-score finish in one direction or the other, be it Ohio State winning or be it Notre Dame winning. I don't think that this is going to close a super tight game in the point margin. Either Notre Dame comes out and they control this game, and Sam Hartman's able to connect on those deep shots, and Audrick is breaking off 45-yard runs, or Ohio State comes out and Marvin Harrison dominates or Trevion Henderson dominates. Maybe the defense gets a score. I don't see a world in which this is a three-point game one way or the other. Feel free to clip that for freezing cold takes later on. Now, you talk about the home field advantage, and I know most people are saying, well, this is in Notre Dame. It's it's at Notre Dame. It's in South Bend. It's going to be a very hostile environment. I'm going to break it to you. It's probably not. I'm going to go out and say it's probably going to be minimum 40% Ohio State fans. I'm not the only one saying that.
1: It, I. I think still, Brett, you're, I, I don't disagree with the Ohio State fans' travel. Um, my father-in-law is a Notre Dame fan and alum. Um, it's possible it's 40% in Ohio State, I guess. Uh, I still think if you're giving Ohio State the option, you want to play at home or you want to play on the road in this one, they'd take the home game. Of
0: course. I, I, of course. I,
1: I, I still think that there's a significant challenge to playing this game at Notre Dame at night. Uh, I know these are both two northern teams used to playing in the cold. I think just given Ohio State's style of play and what they like to do through uh, through the air, it's better they're playing this game in September from Ohio State's point of view than if it was November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and again, Ohio State's used to playing outside November, their, their home stadium. Uh, but y- yes, I, I hear your point. Ohio State fans travel well. It's a big game. It's not far to travel for most Buckeye fans. But I still think... Notre Dame recognizes the significance of this game too, and their fans do. This is one of really three marquee games this year, if you will, USC, Clemson being the other ones. Although that Duke game next week is actually starting to look a little little better every single week uh, as Dukes can get better. Um, They're not looking ahead to that. That's not where I'm going. It's going to be a difficult environment. It might not be the most raucous that Ohio State plays in all year, aka at Michigan at the end of the year, but it's still going to be one where I think... Kyle McCord, it's really first his first true big road test. I know they played at IU to start the year, and playing on the road in conference is hard. I get that. This is going to be more difficult than that. This one's at night, and you have the eyes of the college football world on you in this game. I don't care who you are. That's pressure. Hopefully... For Ohio State fans' sake, he's able to rise up to that and meet that. But that is pressure, and this is the biggest game of his life to this point. And he's playing the most important position on one of the most talented teams in the country who the expectation is to win the Big Ten and to win the national championship. That's a lot for a kid. And so we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah, Let me walk it back a little bit. I still stand by the fact that this is going to be close to a split crowd. Of course, no, it's not going to be an easy, nice environment to him. Not by not by any stretch. But I just think for those thinking it's going to be a complete overshot, Notre Dame is just beating down them like a Penn State whiteout. I think the crowd's going to be a bit more split and more friendly than that. Agreed. All right. Let's close this out with a quick FCS game. I know we're running really long. There's a lot to talk about this week. Uh, Kelly, let's not overlook the fact that we have five ranked matchups and two top ten matchups in the FCS we have six in the FBS, and we have 11 total Division I. What a week it is to be a college football fan. The game I want to focus on, number eight, Sacramento State, fresh off a big win over Stanford. At number five, Idaho, almost off a big win at, at Cal. This game kicks off at 4 p.m. local and on the, the your local CW station, CW31. I I don't know. Uh, and also on ESPN+, Plus, which is probably where I'll be watching it. Uh, this game is being played at the legendary Kibbe Dome, in Moscow, Idaho, Sacramento State, like I said, just up upended Stanford and their former coach, Troy Taylor, who left Sac State to to go to Stanford uh, in Idaho, beat the heck on Nevada two weeks ago and then went up 17-0 on Cal before eventually giving up 31 on an answer and losing that game, but covering the spread. Uh, my numbers make this a dead even pick them. I think I'd probably lean Idaho in the vaunted Kibbe Dome so long as we get a number uh, up to a field goal. What does your FCS numbers say?
1: Yeah, so my FCS light model has Sacramento State power rated number five, Idaho power rated number sixteen. The game is at Idaho, so of course they're going to get that home field advantage. But my numbers still like Sacramento State minus three and a half. So uh, I do think there's a significant uh, value there, potentially crossing a, a, a number or two in a pick'em game. Um, but again. I won't pretend to know the full ins and outs of what this kibby Dome means. Uh, Ido hasn't been in the FBS for some time now. As you move down to the FCS level, I lose track of a little bit of the nuances there. So I'll take your word for it that it's going to be raucous and all those things. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the home field advantage is uh, greater than I'm giving it credit for in the FCS light model. But I've got Sacramento State minus three and a half.
0: All right. That is a... Jam packed episode of college football previewing here. Hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in the college football server and join a sharp and very active community. And don't forget to subscribe to Alliance YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long. Subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you're using these days. And drop us a good review if you like the show, especially if you liked my Iowa over team total bet. <laughs> or not kelly before we close up shop here please let everybody listening know though where they can find your work
1: absolutely uh at k Ford ratings on x k ratings.com is the website and then i'm over at the lines.com with brett uh doing this show of course you're watching it and then also writing the three top three watchability score games of the week and then also the big 10 nbc primetime game of the week as well
0: well thank you so much as always for watching i'm brett gibbons that is kelly ford and we'll see you all next time